0: Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. House Republicans scheduled the first hearing as part of the impeachment proceedings against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of immigration and border security. The hearing is titled Havoc in the Heartland, how Secretary Mayorkas's failed leadership has impacted the states. This comes as House Speaker Mike Johnson and dozens of House Republicans visit the U.S.-Mexico border in Eagle Pass, Texas. And Senate negotiations between Republicans and Democrats about immigration reform are continuing. Expected that any agreement out of the Senate would be added to the bill with President Biden's request for aid to Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan, a demand made by both Senate and House Republicans. President Biden today meeting with historians and scholars talking about threats to democracy. As the Biden re-election campaign says the president will be traveling on Saturday, the third anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, to near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where General George Washington and the Continental Army camped in a cold winter during the Revolutionary War. That'll be followed on Monday by a visit to Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where in 2015, nine people were shot and killed by a white supremacist. Former President Donald Trump, vying for the Republican nomination for president this year, has scheduled rallies in Iowa on January 6th. Coming up, we'll be talking with C-SPAN's political editor, Nate Hurst, about C-SPAN's coverage plans for Iowa in the presidential caucuses there and then the New Hampshire presidential primary, all happening this month. And from the White House and the State Department reaction to events in the Middle East, both saying they see no indication that Israel is behind bombs exploding in Iran at a commemoration for a prominent Iranian general killed by the U.S. in a drone strike in 2020. Iran says nearly 100 people have been killed in the bombings and over 200 wounded. We start in Eagle Pass, Texas, on the U.S.-Mexico border, where Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, led off a news conference flanked by the more than 60 House Republicans on the trip.
1: First, I want to tell you that we have uh, a great cross-section of the, of the House. We have 64 House Republicans that have joined us here in Eagle Pass. They represent 26 states, one U.S. territory. You have everybody from, uh, from, from California to Maryland, from Michigan to, to Florida. We, we represent over half the U.S. states because every state in America is now a border state. And we've seen that on vivid display today. Today we were able to meet with local residents, with sheriffs, with the Texas DPS. We also toured the CBP processing facility here in Eagle Pass and it's been an eye opener. One thing is absolutely clear, America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration and today we got a first-hand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. The situation here and across the country is truly unconscionable we would describe it as both heartbreaking and infuriating. Our communities are overrun. We have local resources that are being strapped. We have lethal drugs that are pouring into our country at record levels. And it's in less than three years that President Biden took office that this has happened, that we have over 7 million illegal encounters at the border, nearly 2 million known gotaways, and that doesn't count the many that are undetected, at 312 suspects on the terrorist watch list that have been apprehended. We have no idea how many terrorists have come into the country and set up terrorism cells across the nation. Last month alone, we saw the most illegal crossings in recorded history. It is an unmitigated disaster, a catastrophe.
0: House Speaker Mike Johnson at the news conference in Eagle Pass, Texas. Associated Press writes that President Biden has expressed a willingness to make policy compromises as the historic number of migrants crossing the border is an increasing challenge for his 2024 re-election campaign campaign president told reporters tuesday night we've got to do something he said congress should approve his national security proposal because it also includes money for managing the influx of migrants he said they ought to give me the money i need to protect the border that's from associated press more from the house speakers news conference as he laid out what he thinks the president should do
1: rather than incentivizing people to come the president needs to deter people from entering the country Rather than discussing amnesty with Mexico, as top uh, Biden administration officials did within the last couple of weeks, this administration should reinstate the remaining Mexico policy, as was said. Rather than expanding parole authority to an unprecedented scale, the president should obviously end catch and release and stop the abuse of our parole and asylum systems. The president can and should act now. This doesn't require legislation. It requires leadership. And and despite the White House's claim, he has all the authority he needs right now under existing federal law to stop this madness. But the message his policies have sent is the opposite of that, it's quite clear. Under President Biden, America has laid out a welcome mat to illegal immigrants, smugglers, and cartels. He is responsible for the grave threat to our national security and and our nation's sovereignty that these policies have created. But instead of taking responsibility and providing leadership, this administration has done nothing but attack elected officials who are trying to fix this catastrophe. The people standing behind you have worked hard. We passed our legislation more than seven months ago. You have red and blue states all across this country that are being forced to step up because the federal government has failed to do its job. Right here in Texas, Governor Abbott has heroically done more to enforce the law than the president has. And how has this administration responded? They have sued the state of Texas to stop their deterrence efforts. They have brought them to court to to strike down their ability to put up uh, buoys in the water and and razor wire and the rest. It's absolute insanity. The House has done its job. As I mentioned, we delivered uh, common sense legislation that will secure our border. But it's been sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk for seven months.
0: House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana at the news conference in Eagle Pass, Texas, surrounded by dozens of other House Republicans on this Congressional Delegation, or CODEL. He referenced the bill that the House passed. It is known as H.R. 2. Well, today, Senator Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, writes the Hill newspaper, indicated negotiators are inching closer to a border deal that could unlock aid for Ukraine whilst pressing the House to jump on board with the eventual agreement. He told reporters, we're making progress, we're closer than we have been, but this is a very difficult issue, and there's still different issues to be overcome with. Everyone's going to have to give something to get this done. No one can just get his or her own way. The negotiators led by Senators James Lankford, Republican of Oklahoma, Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut... And Kirsten Cinema, independent from Arizona, as well as Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and top White House officials have continued talks throughout the holidays and reconvened in person on Tuesday. That from the Hill. Back to the news conference in Eagle Pass, Texas. The second speaker there was Congressman Mark Green, Republican of Tennessee, chair of the Homeland Security Committee, who talked about today's announcement of the first hearing in his committee scheduled for next week on the possible impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas.
2: You know, I first took the oath to defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies, foreign and domestic, on the plane at West Point when I was 17 years old. And for the better part of my adult life, I have spent that training and fighting foreign terrorists. And now, as the chairman of the Committee on Homeland Security, I contend with the domestic threats to this nation. The greatest domestic threat to the national security and the safety of the American people is Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. He, through his policies, has defied and subverted the laws passed by the United States Congress. He has defied multiple court orders. He has lied numerous times to the United States Congress. He has under oath, stated things that were blatantly, obviously incorrect. He has broken his oath to defend this country. Even A.G. Garland admitted that the policies of Mayorkas are being used by the cartels to exploit the American people and make billions of dollars putting Americans at risk. Hundreds of thousands of Americans dead to fentanyl. Tens of thousands of young people trafficked into sex slavery. Billions of dollars wasted. Expanded criminal networks now connected to the drug cartels in Mexico throughout our entire country. Director Ray admitted before my committee the other day, our committee the other day, That with the border wide open and a war in Israel, Hamas can just walk right in. That's the director of the FBI. He fears for his own agents. It's clear this is intentional. Secretary Mayorkas knows the policies. If the AG knows the policies are the cause, Secretary Mayorkas knows the policies are the cause, he's doubling down. He's doing this intentionally, despite the catastrophic harm to our country. Well, our committee has finished its five-phase investigation. I want to thank the members of the committee for their hard work and our staff. You're going to see a lot more coming here very soon.
0: Congressman Mark Green, Republican from Tennessee, chair of the Homeland Security Committee at the news conference with other House Republicans in Eagle Pass, Texas, on the U.S.-Mexico border. The hearing in the impeachment proceedings of Secretary Majorca is scheduled for Wednesday, January 10th, 10 a.m. Eastern. The committee says that witnesses will be announced and are by invitation only. We'll be covering this hearing on the C-SPAN networks, on C-SPAN radio and C-SPAN 3 television. You can always follow it on the C-SPAN now. Mobile app, which is free. Mia Ehrenberg, a spokesperson for the Department of Homeland Security, put out a statement. There is no valid basis to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, as senior members of the House majority have attested, and this extreme impeachment push is a harmful distraction from our critical national security priorities. Secretary Mayorkas was being interviewed today on MSNBC when the news of this impeachment hearing broke, and he was asked for a reaction. You know, uh, you mentioned um, earlier in our conversation
3: uh, that I uh, joined the bipartisan group of senators to work on a legislative solution to a broken immigration system. Uh, I was uh, on the Hill yesterday to provide technical advice in those ongoing negotiations. Before I headed to the Hill, I was in the office working on solutions. After my visit to the Hill, I was back in my office working on solutions. That's what we do in the Department of Homeland Security. That's what this administration is focused on, solutions to problems.
0: Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on MSNBC. More from this interview as he talked in more detail about those negotiations in the Senate between Republicans and Democrats on immigration reform that he's been attending.
3: And I am actually optimistic. These are earnest hard-working efforts to tackle a very complicated problem. We've been making progress each and every day. And despite how difficult it is, that progress is ongoing. And I am hopeful that an immigration fix will occur. And I should say, in addition, that our administration under President Biden's leadership has fought for that long-needed fix since day one when president biden on the very first day of his administration submitted a comprehensive immigration reform bill to congress most recently we have sought much needed funding uh, for our efforts to address the situation at the border more border patrol agents more asylum officers more immigration judges more investment in technology to battle the scourge of fentanyl we are focused on fixing the challenge, on fixing the problem. We are focused on solutions. As you know, Mr. Secretary, Border Patrol in the month of December processed more migrants entering the United States illegally than any month in the history of that agency. Why is that happening? What? How do you explain it? So we are seeing the greatest number of displaced people, not only at our southern border, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but across the globe. You know, I am involved in bilateral and multilateral meetings with my counterparts from foreign countries in Europe, uh, in Asia, in the Indo-Pacific, all over the world. And migration, the challenge of displaced people is a subject that comes up in every single conversation we have the effects of climate change, poverty, increasing level of authoritarianism, the very many challenges that are at the root cause of the displacement of people around the world.
0: Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on MSNBC. Another Associated Press article, President Joe Biden is starting the campaign year by evoking the Revolutionary War to mark the third anniversary the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and visiting the South Carolina Church, where a white gunman massacred black parishioners seeking to present in the starkest possible terms an election, he argues, could determine the fate of American democracy. On Saturday, Biden will travel to near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where George Washington and the Continental Army spent a bleak winter nearly 250 years ago. There, he'll decry former President Donald Trump for the riot by the mob of his supporters who overran the Capitol in an attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Two days later, the president will visit Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, where nine people were shot and killed in a June 2015 white supremacist attack, that reporting from Associated Press. Today, the White House said that President Biden had lunch with a group of scholars and historians to discuss the ongoing threats to democracy and democratic institutions, both here in America and around the world, as well as opportunities we face as a nation. The White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about that.
4: A list of the scholars and the historians that the press office said he had lunch with today, so in the lead up to the January. I, I
5: don't have a list to share at this time. For so for folks who are not tracking, this afternoon the president met uh, or had lunch with a group of scholars and historians to discuss ongoing threats uh, to our democracy, whether here or, or and also abroad. Uh, this is something that he tends to uh, to do, uh, especially as we head in, uh, head towards a you know uh, an important day like January 6th So it's something that he, it is commonly done. He's done it he's met with a diverse group of historians before i don't have a list to provide to you uh, at this time
3: uh, thanks, Karine. Um On the, the scholars and historians meeting, um, it, 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 that statement referenced threats to democratic institutions in the country. Does the President think that there are any specific policy changes that are needed to strengthen institutions ahead of the elections? I
5: don't have any policies uh, to announce or preview for you at this time. Look, the President has always been clear. I've been clear from this podium as well. Uh, what happened on January 6th was unprecedented, an attack on our core principles, an attack on our democracy. What we saw uh, was an attack on our rule of law, attack on our constitution. We saw the Confederate flag uh, in in the middle of the Capitol building. Uh, it is it was a, a terrifying and horrific day, uh, and um, a you know a, a dark day in our history, uh, sadly. But I just don't have, as far as policy-wise and our uh, strengthening our institutions, don't have anything to share at this but time. Specifically, does
3: he think the United States is ready to have free and fair elections
6: in November?
5: Well, it's. We have to. I mean, that is what we need. We have to. That's what the president believes in, right? It, he believes in having a democracy that works, on having a free and fair election. That's something that he has spoken to, uh, obviously. Uh, but I don't, as far as our policies for our institutions, uh, announcing any po- new policy, I don't have anything just announced at, at this time. But clearly, that is something that uh, the different agencies who are involved are certainly making sure that we, we get to a place that we're, we're you know, where we're Americans are able to, to vote freely on, in November,
0: White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre at her news conference. With a closer look at C-SPAN's campaign coverage plans for the month of January, we're joined by C-SPAN Political Editor Nate Hurst. Welcome. Thanks for having me. What will the viewers
7: see and the listeners hear from C-SPAN when it comes to campaign 2024? So if you've watched C-SPAN in the past, you will see much of what you're familiar with from previous cycles. Um, we do cover the candidate speeches, but we also try and give you a taste of what it's like to actually be on the campaign trail. Um, so in addition to those speeches behind podiums, we also have town halls, um, meet and greets, um, house parties, basically anything um, where you are going to see candidates interacting unscripted with voters. That's what we try and give you. Um, And we have a lot more coverage coming up with the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primaries coming up. So we'll have a lot for viewers to take in. Well, specifically,
0: the Iowa caucuses are first. Caucus night is a big night. How are the coverage plans coming together for that?
7: So we have picked a caucus location, which we haven't revealed yet, but um, on the night of the caucus we will take our viewers into a Republican caucus in Iowa. Um, They will see the process unfold just as if you were a caucus goer in the Hawkeye State yourself. Um, You'll see where folks register to participate in the night. You'll hear all of the uh, speeches from the caucus captains that the campaigns have um, assigned to the location. Um, And then you'll see kind of the most interesting part of caucusing, which is counting the votes and then also trying to um, consolidate folks above this 15% threshold. And you'll have all of that explained to you um, and and see it unfold as it happens. Um, This year is also going to be interesting because viewers can turn over to C-SPAN 2 as the caucus begins, and they can interact with what it's called caucus cast. And so we're going to have two guests come on with our... host. And they will be explaining the caucus in a little more depth than you would get with our traditional caucus coverage. Um, We're also going to invite viewers and listeners to uh, interact with us via social media, send in their questions, so if anything is confusing or they want to know why does that happen, they can find out why. And a quick note for
0: C-SPAN Radio, since the watching the caucus happening often doesn't really work on radio, we're going to be having that uh, C-SPAN 2 coverage simulcast with the explanation. Will the listeners and viewers have an opportunity to call in and, and comment about what's happening on caucus night?
7: Oh, um, absolutely! So our coverage begins at seven thirty Eastern that night. Um, but after the caucus is over, um, we're going to be opening the phone lines uh, to viewers, so we can hear their reactions to the candidates, their messages, um, and of course the results from the night. Um, and we'll intersperse those through the night as we hear from the candidates themselves and they give speeches overnight. There's also going to be call-in opportunities the weekend before the Iowa caucuses as well, um, on Saturday and Sunday. Day we will be having primetime coverage that will include call-in um, segments, and we'll also be soliciting comments from our social media channels as well.
0: Okay, moving on to New Hampshire, it's a different format, a primary format, so our coverage might look a little different.
7: Yeah, so we're not going to be um, in a primary site. This is more traditional voting, as mo- I think a typical American would think of it. Uh, New Hampshire just uses voting machines like everywhere else, Um, so nothing really exciting to see there. Um, But we will have coverage um, of candidate speeches uh, that night. Um, We'll have live results, and of course, your calls and um, viewer comments throughout the evening.
0: How many candidates do you think you'll be covering? Uh, I mean, I remember we 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 heard from uh, lesser-known candidates that we covered a debate on that. So there, there's a lot of people on the ballot in New Hampshire.
7: The, yes, the New Hampshire ballot is um, it it is a, a exemplary of the open democratic process. Um, they have very clear-cut and and pretty easy to um, hit. Uh, bars to get on the ballot, and so there's a huge ballot in New Hampshire. Um, I know that right the last time I checked, I believe that there were more than 50 total between the two parties. Um, so lots of folks up there, but we are expecting all of the major candidates to speak at some point that night. Now, as you know, last go round we thought that too, but now President Joe Biden did really poorly in the New Hampshire primary and actually cut and ran to South Carolina early, so it'll be kind of interesting to to see if everyone actually sticks around for primary night. We're talking with C SPAN's political editor,
0: Nate Hurst. So we're just getting started with the the first voting in this campaign season, looking ahead, how far out will our will our coverage go? What are you expecting even to the next couple of months?
7: Yeah, so I, I think that we're going to feel kind of a, a strong acceleration through January. And then February um, is interesting because we still have two more early states to go. Uh, so we have Nevada, which um, is going on two separate days, the first Tuesday and first Thursday of February. And then South Carolina. Also also has split days, so the first and, I believe, fourth Saturdays of February. So we've got those to look forward to, but February is going to feel a little slow because as soon as we get to March, Super Tuesday looms on that first Tuesday, and it is a big one. Um, There's a lot of big population states going. There's a lot of states going all at once, and the candidates are going to have to pick and choose where do we go to to make our last big push. Um, this will be really interesting, particularly if, uh, if Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are still in the GOP race for the nomination, because um, they could pick up a lot of delegates in some place, like a California. Uh, that's also a really expensive and huge state to go to. So instead of seeing everyone kind of bumping into each other on the streets of Des Moines and Manchester, New Hampshire, I think we're going to see the candidates in a lot of different environments, um, which could be interesting. c SPAN's political editor Nate Hurst. Thank you very much. Thanks. And again, those
0: key dates in Iowa from Friday, January 12th through Sunday, January 14th. C-SPAN will have primetime coverage of campaign events, interviews with reporters and commentators, and take your calls. And then Iowa Presidential Caucus Night, Monday, January 15th, will cover Republican caucus beginning at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And for New Hampshire, our primetime coverage of campaign events those interviews and your calls will be Saturday, January 20th through Monday, January 22nd. And presidential primary night in New Hampshire is Tuesday, January 23rd. We'll have candidate speeches after the polls close and your reaction. Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has qualified for Utah's 2024 ballot, the first state he is qualified for. He met the 1,000 signature requirement. He held a news conference in Salt Lake City today about his efforts to qualify for other state ballots and the one in Washington D.C. and some of the obstacles he has been facing.
4: This morning now we learned the campaign learned that we that three states are refusing to send us ballot petitions. And that those are Maine, New Hampshire and North Dakota. This is something that would never happen to a presidential campaign from the major political parties. And one of the the side issues that I think has been raised throughout this campaign in many, many ways is the undemocratic lock that the major political parties have on this process. Most democracies in the world have a variety of political parties, but the Democratic and Republican parties have succeeded in this country in implementing a number of rules and procedures that make it almost impossible for anybody to challenge their, for any normal American, to challenge their uh, their, their chokehold. And we see this in many different ways across this campaign. Um, Utah, you know, in Utah I want to thank Lieutenant Governor Henderson for, for cooperating and removing one of the constitu- unconstitutional barriers. So we were litigating this case at the same time we were getting signatures. These volunteers went out um, and, and beat the clock anyhow. So we got more than double the signatures we needed and we got them on time and we got them in this very, very short period when there was snow, there was sleet, there was very bad weather, the volunteers had to go out and persuade and go into public places, persuade passers-by to take off their gloves and then, to you know, to keep their ballot petition dry and to sign their names, even though they had shivering hands in a way that was legible and matched their driver's license, because otherwise they are going to get challenged by the other side's lawyers. So they did a spectacular job of, of, um, of getting our campaign on the ballot in this state. Some of the states have rules that are it's, it's negotiating this labyrinth of these arcane rules that we now have in every state that are all designed to suppress dissent, to make sure that uh, there are no options for Americans outside of the major political parties.
0: Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at a news conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, he has until March 5th to file his candidacy in Utah now that he has qualified for that state's ballot, getting 1,000 signatures. American Values 2024, a super PAC supporting him, has pledged to spend up to $15 million to help him gain ballot access in important states. Washington Today continues in a moment.
5: People often think C SPAN is funded by the federal government. In fact, we're a nonprofit organization that receives no government funding. As news consumption changes, you can help ensure the future of C SPAN's unfiltered coverage of national government and politics. We hope you'll consider making a tax deductible contribution that will support our daily editorial operations. To learn more, visit cspan.org forward slash donate.
0: Welcome back to Washington today. Available as a podcast on the free C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you find your podcasts. This story from Fox News: A pair of explosions near the grave of Iranian General Qassem Soleimani killed at least 103 people and wounded up to 141 more in Kerman, Iran. According to Wednesday reports from Iranian media, Iranian officials say the explosions occurred during a ceremony honoring Soleimani on the fourth anniversary of his death. Soleimani was killed in 2020 at the hands of a U.S. drone strike ordered by then-President Trump. The explosions come amid severe tensions between Iran, the U.S., and Israel. Iran's proxy terrorist groups have attacked U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria more than 100 times since October, and Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen have harassed trade in the Red Sea. Hezbollah, another Iran-supported group, has threatened Israel's northern border with drone attacks. Hezbollah media confirmed on Tuesday that a drone attack had killed a senior Hamas leader in Beirut, Lebanon. That reporting from Fox News. Today at the State Department, spokesperson Matthew Miller, questioned by Associated Press reporter Matthew Lee about both of these incidents.
8: Well, let's just start with uh, developments in uh, yesterday in Beirut and today in, in Iran, and whether that uh, or what you think of that, and the ha- those two. Uh, developments and uh, whether or not that is in line with your wish to prevent the conflict from spreading.
9: Let me take them uh, in order. Um, Number one, with respect to the development yesterday, I will say that uh, Al was a brutal terrorist who was centrally responsible for the attacks of October 7th, as well as Um, other attacks against innocent civilians, leading back to well before October 7th. With respect to the explosions in Iran today, what I'll say, we have been following the reports uh, rather closely. We don't have any uh, independent information to offer on them. We do express our sympathies to the victims and their loved ones who died in this horrific explosion. Uh, As I said, it's too early, at least for us, to be able to say what might have caused it. But I do want to address some of the irresponsible claims that I have seen circulate and say that, number one, the United States was not involved in any way, and any suggestion to the contrary is ridiculous. And number two, we have no reason to believe that Israel was involved in this explosion.
8: Why not?
9: Uh, We just do not have any information to believe that that's the case.
8: Did someone suggest that they were? I mean, other than the –
9: We have seen multiple accusations related to both – supposed fictional United States involvement. And as I said, we have no reason to believe Israel was involved either. on on, on Beirut? Uh, I don't have an assessment to make uh, about who was responsible for um, uh, that incident. I'll leave it to the government of Israel to speak to their actions.
8: Okay. So more broadly, though, are you concerned at all that that either or both of these are going to – you know, turn this into the regional confrontation, <clears throat> the regional conflict that you had been publicly saying you wanted to avoid.
9: We remain uh, incredibly concerned, as we have been from the outset of this conflict, about the risk of the conflict spreading into other fronts, um, both inside Israel, uh, whether it be in the north or whether it be uh, 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 in the West Bank, and, or outside of Israel uh, in other, other countries in the region, which is why you've seen the secretary engage in intensive diplomacy to try to urge all of the p- relevant parties not to escalate the conflict and other uh, countries and other groups in the region not to escalate as well. I wouldn't say that our concern is any higher today than it has been from the beginning. It's been something that we've been intensely focused on.
0: Matthew Miller is the State Department spokesperson at his news conference today, also getting reporters' questions. John Kirby, spokesperson for the White House National Security Council, he was in the White House briefing room.
4: I wanted to ask about Iran. Uh, does the United States have any idea who might be behind the bombings there
5: today? And um, secondly, does the U.S. think the killing of the Hamas leader in Beirut has significantly changed
10: um, the strength of Hamas? So on your first question, uh, we aren't at a point now where we have a lot of great detail on uh, on this bombing. Uh, certainly, our uh, our hearts go out to all the innocent victims uh, and their family members who are obviously, their lives are going to be forever changed by this. But we don't have any, um, we don't have any more detail in terms of how it happened or who would, might be responsible for it. On your second question, uh, again, I, I would point you um, to, uh, to our Israeli partners to talk more about this. The, the, we're, we're, again, not in a position to uh, confirm the specific reports. I would just tell you, uh, that al huri uh, was a noted, designated global terrorist. And if he is in fact dead, nobody should be shedding a tear over his loss. Okay. Uh, I know you, see you don't have any great detail on who was responsible, but can you rule out that Israel had anything to do with this? We have no indication at this time at all that Israel was involved in any way whatsoever. No indication, but just to be clear, you don't think did they support or assist in in some other way? Uh, I I would, I'm not going to speak for another nation. I would just tell you that we have no indication that Israel was in any way involved in this. And given that this was the Soleimani anniversary, uh, did you have any intelligence that something was being planned for this day? We certainly had uh, no indications that there would be some sort of violence surrounding uh, the anniversary of his death.
3: Uh, just to follow up on uh, the the Lebanon issue, is there any concern that that particular strike might uh, expand the conflict regionally? Well,
10: I would just say, Trevor, everything that we've done, in fact, the laydown I just offered, of the force posture changes that the president has ordered in the region has been designed to prevent an escalation or widening or deepening of this conflict. Um, as we've said before, we don't want to see it widen beyond Israel and Hamas. And again, we're going to keep working with partners in the region to prevent that from happening.
0: John Kirby, Strategic Communications Coordinator for the White House National Security Council, at today's White House briefing. Washington Post article reads that Hezbollah Chief Hassan Nasrallah said in an address Wednesday that Israel would meet a response and punishment the day after the death of senior Hamas leader Salah al-Rory in a suspected Israeli drone strike in a Beirut suburb. Hezbollah, an Iran-backed militant group based in Lebanon, has treated fire with Israel in recent weeks amid fear that tensions could lead to a regional conflict. The Lebanese government said it was urging Hezbollah to show restraint. Nasrallah said if the enemy thinks of waging a war on Lebanon they will regret it. Before Nasrallah's speech, the Israeli Defense Forces said its troops were prepared for any scenario. That's from the Washington Post. And CNN has this article, the United States has quietly reached an agreement that extends its military presence at a sprawling base in Qatar for another 10 years. Three U.S. defense officials, another official familiar with the agreement, told CNN. It's the Al-Udeed air base located in the desert southwest of Doha, the biggest U.S. military installation in the Middle East, can house more than 10,000 American troops. That from CNN. This is Washington Today. U.S. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, is talking about the swatting she and her family were subjected to over the holidays. Swatting is when someone reports a fake emergency, often involving violence or threats of violence, to 911, and it results in a large police and SWAT law enforcement response sent to the target's home. An article in axios.com reads that threats against lawmakers have soared in recent years and the swatting incidents underscore just how close to home these threats can hit and also swatting calls have been rising nationwide targeting not just lawmakers but also schools and hospitals. Congresswoman Green was on Fox News Tuesday night.
11: It's actually terrifying, Jesse. The first time it happened to me, it was right after I introduced a bill to stop the transgender surgeries on children and to stop puberty blockers uh, being given to children because kids need to grow up before they make those kind of decisions. And it was a trans activist that started these calls on me and you can see this video in my home where I had to go to the door in the middle of the night where the SWAT team had showed up. They, they had gun in hand. Um, they had been told that I had murdered someone and I was ready to either commit suicide and that I was willing to shoot police officers when they came to my house. It's extremely serious, Jesse. It's so serious that not only has it happened to me eight times, it's also happened to my family members. Both of my daughters were swatted over Christmas um, along with dozens of other congressmen, women, uh, senators and state government officials as well. And Jesse, I have to tell you, I've been very frustrated. Um, I've expected the FBI to be able to track these people down. I've expected the Department of Justice to be able to go after these people And now it has risen to such a level where not only have I been swatted eight times, the Speaker of the House has been swatted, senators have been swatted. And I've started to ask, is this an attack on our government as well as an attack on the police? And is the Biden administration capable of handling what is happening with attempted assassinations on government officials? Because we know the Biden administration is not capable of stopping the invasion at the southern border, which has surely brought terrorists into our country.
0: Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, interviewed on Fox News Channel Tuesday night. Today, she posted that she will be introducing legislation to make it much easier for law enforcement to arrest and prosecutors to prosecute these criminals who have been swatting. And both political parties have been targets. Maine's Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, a Democrat, last week disqualified former President Donald Trump from appearing on The state's 2024 presidential primary ballot announced in a Facebook post over the weekend that her family had been swatted. Also today, fake bomb threats were called into multiple state capitals, leading to brief evacuations or lockdowns while police investigated. No evidence of explosives found in any of the cases. The states affected include Connecticut, Georgia, Kentucky, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi and Montana. The FBI said it was aware of the false threats at the Capitol buildings. But had no information to indicate a specific and credible threat. In Washington, the U.S. House and Senate officially ended the first session of the 118th Congress and started the second session. The meetings today did not last long. Here is what happened in the House Congresswoman Virginia Fox, Republican from North Carolina, presiding.
6: The House will come to order. This being the day fixed, pursuant to the 20th Amendment to the Constitution, for the meeting of the second session of the 118th Congress, the House will be in order. The Chair lays before the House a communication from the Speaker.
1: The Speaker's Rooms,
6: Washington, D.C., January 3rd, 2024. I hereby appoint the Honorable Virginia Fox to act as Speaker pro tempore on this day. Signed, Mike Johnson. Speaker of the House of Representatives. The prayer will be offered by Chaplain Kibben. Would you pray with me? Eternal Lord, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Many are the plans of our hearts, but yours is the eternal purpose that prevails. Receive then our earnest and most heartfelt prayers as we enter into this second session of the 118th Congress. You have set eternity in our hearts, and we yearn to find meaning and purpose in the work of our hands. Receive our labors and sanctify our intentions. May all that we set forth to do prove worthy of your gracious and eternal plan. Scripture warns that some trust in chariots and some in horses. All too often we trust in the perishable and corruptible. But this year, in all that lies ahead, May we place our trust only in the name of the Lord our God. It is in your sovereign name that we are bold to pray. Amen. Amen.
0: The House chaplain Margaret Kibben, retired rear admiral, the U.S. House went on to recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the U.S. flag and then adjourn. There's no legislative business expected until next week. The 20th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution cited by Congresswoman Fox reads in Section 2, the Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meetings shall begin at noon on the third day of January, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. In the Senate, today's meeting was about 30 seconds. It was presided over by Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, the majority leader.
3: The Senate will come to order. The clerk will read a communication to the Senate.
7: Washington,
0: D.C., January 3rd, 2024. To the Senate, under the provisions of Rule 1, Paragraph 3 of the standing rules of the Senate, I hereby appoint the Honorable Charles E. Schumer, a senator from the state of New York, to perform the duties of the chair, signed Patty Murray, President pro tempore.
3: Under the previous order, the Senate stands adjourned until 10 a.m. on Friday, January 5th, 2024.
0: Senator Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, presiding that meeting on Friday will be pro forma yes, in the Senate, just like in the House. No legislative business expected until next week. <laughs> Wall Street today, the Dow down 284, NASDAQ down 173, S&P down 38. The minutes of the Federal Reserve meeting from December were released today. Wall Street Journal reporter Nick Timoros posting. Fed officials thought they were probably done raising interest rates when they decided last month to hold them steady, but minutes of the meeting didn't reveal any meaningful debate about when to start lowering rates. Federal Reserve in its December meeting statement forecast they would be cutting interest rates three times in 2024. Also, the U.S. Treasury has released data showing the U.S. national debt has now exceeded $34 trillion. It happened on December 29th, and it took three months to add the last trillion dollars. Thanks for listening to Washington today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, word for word. It's free. And get the stories making headlines in Washington, D.C. emailed to you every day. Subscribe at cspan.org slash connect. Have a good night.